Welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Jasleen. We're here to disrupt the tech industry by connecting diverse job seekers with inclusive organizations where talent from communities that are underrepresented can thrive. Whether you're a job seeker who belongs to an underrepresented group, a tech employer interested in learning how to attract diverse talent, or a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion looking for resources, we have got you covered. Here's to disrupting. Hi, everybody. Welcome in. This month is Women's History Month, and I'm super excited to be hosting all of our events this month with my co-founder, Jasleen. If you are new here, my name is Alexandria. As one of the co-founders of The Job Disruptors, I am also a leadership coach for women in tech and LGBTQIA people in tech. Uh, We started The Disruptors as a way to help people that are underrepresented in the tech community get jobs that they can thrive in and to support companies becoming human-first companies. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to Jasleen so she can introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Jasleen. I am a career coach with a background in HR. And as Alexandria said, I'm also co-founder of The Disruptors. And today it's, you know, it's Women's History Month. And so we're talking about, are we there yet? It's funny nope. when I hear, <laughs> I hear this, this question, I think of my kids in the backseat, you know, on the long journey and being like, no, we're not there yet. And I think the answer is the same here. We're not there yet. I think we all know we're not there yet. Um, if you think we're there, then please listen into this conversation because we've got lots of nuggets to share with you to really think about the woman's perspective. So if you're not a woman, but even if you are a woman listening in, just thinking about the journey that we've been on, the women that have come before us, and how we can start reimagining a future of work that includes us fully so we can show up as our whole selves. And so on that note, Alexandria, what do we need to really pay attention to when we think about women's history, specifically in tech? Yeah, so there's a whole lot of women's history in the tech space specifically that has been erased or ignored. And we've seen some changes in that more recently, right? We've got some books and movies that have come out to like highlight some of those pieces that were true. Mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of people, especially outside of the tech space, who don't realize like the original computers were women doing math by hand, right? And the first computer in 1946 was programmed by six women. And from the 40s through the 50s, programmers were predominantly women because it was considered clerical or admin work. And it wasn't until this, like 1967-ish that they started to realize that it's actually super complex problem solving. And they started training men in it. But then we enter in with a whole bunch of bias problems as they started training men in it and pushing women out of it. And there's a lot of other things that happen along that way, but the other pivotal turning point for losing women in the tech space specifically was in 1980 when the personal home computer started being marketed to boys. And so it was a toy to that boys played with for mm-hmm. games. And so they were already exposed to computers and programming and familiar with what was happening so that by the time they got to college, they were already advanced in their knowledge of computing systems and programming and those types of things where young girls were not encouraged to play with computers. And so by the time they got to college and were maybe interested, the entry-level courses were beyond them and professors Mm -hmm. pushed them out because they didn't have the prerequisite knowledge for them. And then we enter in brilliance bias and some other things that we'll talk about a little bit later, but that's kind of the history of women in the tech space is we we dominated it for a long time and then got shoved out of it. Mm-hmm. That really struck me what you said about marketing computers to boys, because I'm a mom of two boys. And I feel like when I'm paying attention to the games that they're playing, and it's really disappointing to see that that marketing is still happening. Mm-hmm. And it is it is very much centered around young boys and men. And so when we think about the reasons why people would be attracted to computers at a young age, it's how are we, even from a gaming perspective, 
when we're really thinking about, okay, what are we building in terms of getting people, you know, entertaining people and, and, and getting women or young girls into this space, how are we centering it around their interests? And when I say that, I say that with a little bit of caution because a lot of the interests kids are led to, to those interests based on stereotypes. And right. so it's also thinking about, okay, maybe some of these games young girls would want to be playing, but I feel like today, and I, I you know, I don't want to be pessimistic about it. I wish that those stereotypes weren't so ingrained in our culture still for mm -hmm. kids. You think that we would have made a lot of progress, um, but I haven't seen it. And I keep hearing like, just this morning, I was telling you, as I was trying to get my kids out the door, my son was on his iPad. And um, one of the the remarks was around um, they were hiring these lunch ladies and, and sorry, we couldn't find pretty ones. And oh. I was just like, and <laughs> I told you this morning, I was a little frazzled. That got me a little more frazzled this mm -hmm. morning. <laughs> I was just like, what are you listening to? This is a Disney show and it's already perpetuating these stereotypes that women should be, you know, more the nurturers and pay attention to beauty. That's our value in the world. Right. And men are out there, you know, hunting and gaming and all these sort of things. And, and so thinking about that in terms of the culture, that's really when you, when you said that it got me thinking. And also when you look at the progress, we're still only at 26.7% of all tech related jobs are held by women. And only 11% of that at the executive level. Like that's an issue. That is an issue because that doesn't reflect society. And okay. so when, as a tech company, if you, you know, if you're a leader of a tech company, if you work at a tech company, you've got to be thinking again about the products that you're creating. And again, it's, it's that, it's that spiral of, you know, we're going to keep getting into that. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we're not changing it at all levels and building a strong pipeline, how are we actually going to create social change and remove the barriers and the stereotypes? Yeah, 100%. And I think one of the things that comes up there, right, is the data gap that is there. And it's like this invisible data gap, because we don't, we don't know what we don't know. And the way humans process information, right, we know our own experience, and that makes us the fish and water situation. And if we are then surrounded by people who have similar experiences to us, we aren't able to think outside of that experience, which is why diversity is so important to the process, right? So a prime example that comes to mind for that is when um, Sheryl Sandberg got pregnant when she was at Google. And she was in pain, like it was a rough pregnancy for her. She was having a hard time walking from the parking lot to the front of the building. And she was like, hey, we need pregnancy parking. None of the executives have thought mm -hmm. about it before she got pregnant. So it took a female executive on the team to be like, hey, this is a problem that we're not looking at. And they fixed it, which great. But that's why diversity on executive teams is important, on boards mm -hmm. is important, and within all teams is important because you need that other perspective and experience in the world to be able to actually solve yep. the problems for everybody. Yeah. You won't uncover the gaps in the silo. No. We need, we need women of all intersections. Mm -hmm. And so being mindful of that too, because I really want to talk about as we're moving into Women's History Month, we're coming out of Black History Month. And so we should be also thinking about women intersectionally, because mm -hmm. I think often, and I can speak to this as a person of color, you know, sometimes I stray away from, oh, women's history, you're talking about white women. Yes. And so it's how are we also thinking about barriers that might be unique for women from an intersectional lens, if you're black, indigenous person of color, if you're a queer woman if you're a woman with a disability. So really thinking about what are the barriers to access? What, what, what do we need to do to build a pipeline to make tech friendly for all groups? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about those barriers. What do you think the barriers are right now in tech specifically that women and women presenting people are still experiencing? Yeah, so I could probably go on for more than an hour. <laughs> So I wanted to kind of touch on a few points, but I think it's important to think about the barriers and the challenges 
in terms of the concrete things that we can measure. Mm-hmm. And usually that's when we start this DEI work. That's usually where we go, right? We go to representation, things like that. But then there's also, I think, a more important, bigger component that's really going to create systemic change is the more difficult to measure. Often we can get qualitative data on it, but Mm -hmm. unless we really are doing the work, we're not going to be able to measure those things. Mm -hmm. So back to the measurable things, it is things like the wage gap, right? And so they've all they've also done a study on companies that do intersectional pay audits. They actually hire women at 1.3 times higher percent than other companies who don't do those audits. So it's important to think about if you've got a gap in that talent pipeline, maybe that's one of the places that you might start looking. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, yeah, that representation is is a good measurable target but it's not always enough. So representation, we talked about that at the, at, you know, at the beginning, mm-hmm. it is important, but it is just one measure. And if you're not focusing on all the systemic things, you're not going to get there. Um, and the other one that's pretty measurable, that's a huge part, especially for women in tech, especially at, you know, when you're getting to that leadership level. So it's, it's advancing women through like from entry level to, uh, you know, whatever level they're going to be as an individual contributor. Mm-hmm. And then also where they call that the broken rung mm-hmm. is when you go from individual contributor to, to leader, we're seeing that's where the huge drop is. So even organizations that are getting women into entry level positions, there's still that broken rung. And mm-hmm. so, I'll speak to that a little bit of why I think that is when I talk about more of the less measurable components. Well, the other thing that I want to draw attention to there is a lot of tech organizations, especially startups, they will have a lot of junior level women Mm -hmm. that fall off before they even get to the senior level of individual contributor rungs, Mm -hmm. Uh, like senior level positions. Like even within individual contributors, there's a broken rung Mm -hmm. outside of leadership. Yeah, they're almost there are two different tracks that both have. Yes. that are broken in them. Yeah, because you can think about career advancement in different ways because not all women necessarily want to be leaders, right. um, but a lot do. <laughs> and so for those, how are we making sure we're advancing them? But also for people who are entry level, how are we making sure we're not pigeonholing them into a role? And how are we getting deeper into the technical capacity Um, or whatever that function is that they're in, how are we getting deeper into that individual contributor capacity? Mm -hmm. Because that's not just good for the employee, it's good for your business as well. Um, And it saves you money having to recruit from outside if there's a skill that is, is missing. And so moving over to the less measurable things. Mm -hmm. um, Well, one of the things actually I wanted to mention that is measurable is women are over mentored and under sponsored. Mm. At the middle level management, um, they've done a study on this and actually there are more women than men being mentored, but the quality of the relationships is different. And Mm. I think we'll speak to that in a, in another episode, Mm -hmm. but in terms of sponsorship, more of men's mentors are actually sponsors and what a sponsor is because a mentor is someone who's been there, done that is going to show you the ropes, you, you're you on a similar path to them. Mm-hmm. A sponsor can also be a mentor, right. but they're unique in the sense that they're willing to put their name on the line mm-hmm. to advocate for you, right. to position you for roles, to really go to bat for you. And so there, there have been studies on this as well that um, women are seen as more risky appointments. Mm-hmm. And that is why they're not being sponsored as much where men off the bat, a mentor is there to also sponsor you. So mm-hmm. um, if you if you kind of thinking, no, we oh, I have a mentor or women in my organization have mentors. That's not enough. Think about what those mentors are actually doing in terms of opening doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, right there you just talked about the prove it again bias that's showing yes. up for women. That's very much ex- yeah, exactly because the prove it again bias is and and that's more of an invisible bias because mm-hmm. um, there's there's like I said, we're measuring the the mentorship, right? We can measure that. The quality of that relationship is very much 
we're not measuring that. Right. And so we, we need to start measuring the quality and getting out there and having conversations about this. And also the lack of role models. That's another one that I've I've felt in my career where you get to a point where you're like, do I want to keep going? Because I see how women are treated. I see how women are struggling and I see how this organization sees me and mm-hmm. is it worth the effort? Um, and so if we had more role models that we saw succeeding in this space, that would have a huge impact. So that is a barrier for sure. Yeah. Representation matters from the youngest age, right? So like, let's talk about that for a second, because we are making some strides with um, young children, right? They do these studies like, oh, draw a picture of a scientist, draw a picture of a doctor, Mm -hmm. draw a picture of whatever. And more children are starting to draw women as like their default in that. But we're at like, 25% or something like that. It's still ridiculously low. Even though women make up more than 50% of the mathematics and chemistry and other STEM degrees and overall make up more than 50% of undergraduate degrees, just period. Well, in North America, specifically in Western Europe, that's different in other parts of the country. But like representation in their books at school, when they talk about like the founders of certain sciences or whatever, they're shown men, specifically white men. And so it's starting at very young ages that that's what they're being shown. And that hasn't really shifted as much as it needs to. And then shows and books and all of these other places that we aren't seeing that. And then video games is a whole other one. Having female ability, like ability to be a woman character in a video game is few and far between especially in some of the more popular games. And it's definitely not the default. Yeah. And that speaks to the more difficult to measure pieces. Mm -hmm. And so like, I love what you're saying. Cause even for us, like if you were to just close your eyes right now and picture a genius, Mm -hmm. like who did you picture? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that is the invisible part of that. And so Mm -hmm. the, the more qualitative, the more nuanced things that are difficult to measure is those what you just spoke to there, the invisible gender bias, the microaggressions that Mm. come from that bias and Mm. the entitlement that allows people to feel free to exercise those microaggressions without any sort of repercussions to their career. Mm -hmm. Um, The invisible rules that stem from masculine culture. This is an important one. If you follow me on TikTok, I talk about the invisible rules a lot because the invisible rules were made by and for men, white men, so white men and specifically. And so I'll give you an example of one of the invisible rules. Like men have the meeting before the meeting in masculine culture. This is something that I learned the hard way (laughs) Mm -hmm. where I had, I had a lot of women managers and then my first um, or my second um, manager who was a man, um, would always kind of be poking me and like, and during presentations, he'd be like, didn't you meet with this person before? And, and I, it was just so frustrating because I did never got this feedback before. And I, I, we were working with people across multiple time zones. So I was, I was very confused. I'm like, mm-hmm. like I have, I'd have to wake up at 5am to talk to this person. And, and so it was just really difficult, but when I did more research into gender differences, I realized that more often than not, masculine culture, there's this old boys club where people are having business conversations outside the meeting. It might be on the golf course. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, in just one-on-one water cooler talk or when you're connecting with someone. It's about saying, I'm going to pitch this idea. Do I have your support? Mm-hmm. Women aren't taught to do that. Women are collaborators. So we show up um, and and we collaborate. We say, okay, here, we're at the meeting to have the meeting. I've prepared something. And often when when we, our ideas and our opinions are rejected, it's been, it's being done so in that way because we've triggered the ego of the men who are saying, I wasn't told about this before the meeting. And, and so for me, that was a huge like light bulb. And now when I work with men, I'm more mindful of that and how I'm gaining support from men outside of the meeting, which to me, again, it, it seems so inefficient and counterproductive, but if you're working with men, it ends up being more efficient. 
Right, which is that double-edged sword and that like default standard of the rules of engagement still being masculine culture. And there's a certain level of like you can know the rules and have to play by them because that's still what's driving the business world. But I would really like to have the conversation of is that what we should be doing? Right. Just mm-hmm. because that's what we've always done does not mean that's what we should be doing. And yeah. is that even, the, like you said, the most effective way to be yeah. doing this? And the default being like, oh, well, you have the meeting before the meeting. That just, it just is, right? It's just so normal. Yeah. Like, and that's what we're going to talk about on March 29th. We're going to talk about when do we mindfully disrupt? Because this shouldn't be a conversation for the women listening. It shouldn't be about you always changing yourself, you always adapting because the the bigger issue and and one of the other things I was going to speak to is how we are valuing stereotypical masculine traits versus stereotypical masculine or feminine traits and approaches. And there are times where being more collaborative is better when we're trying to get to innovation, when we're trying to um, get everyone aligned so that they can go execute on their part of the their the business, mm-hmm. but and, and there's times where masculine culture works, like it could, in the military, command and control, urgent situations. Mm-hmm. That that there is a time and a place for that, and 100%. so I might because I I'm very much stereotypically feminine, and so I have to get into that more regimented command and control approach sometimes when there's a big project with multiple pieces and we're at the at the end of that project mm-hmm. and so it's really not it's it's not about saying okay let's do it women's way let's do it men's way right. it's about choosing the approach and choosing the style uh, based on the circumstances and the environment valuing them both equally and just being really deliberate about which one we're choosing, mm-hmm. which is where you enter in the, like the nuances to those conversations, right? Which is a enculturated feminine trait of being mm-hmm. able to do complex problem solving with nuance that is not necessarily pushed or taught or held as valuable in the masculine trait world. And that's, you have to, every moment is different, right? Like you can have generalized rules and like things that you're looking for, like, oh, well, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, like it probably is a duck. But knowing what the nuance is and making that informed decision, like you just said, like that's super, super important in business. Because if you're not looking at everything, you're going to make bad decisions. Totally, totally. We have to be really mindful of this and really open to adapting and also understanding that, you know, when we when we were kind of ingrained in this corporate culture, this came from a different time. The environment is changing. Mm-hmm. When we look at how tech is disrupting all industries, mm-hmm. we need more strategic thinkers. We need more empathy. We need more openness. We need more collaboration. We need more stereotypically feminine traits. And so how are we integrating that and how are we, how are we bringing women into the business to really help us do that mm-hmm. and, and really allowing them to not, not, and I'm going to get into this when we talk about myths because there's myths around that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I want to speak on before we get to, to the myths is the double standards for mm-hmm. women. And so um if you're a man listening to this, thinking about, you know, when you look at the advice for men out there, because I kind of did a quick Google search, it says, okay, tell women to speak up in meetings, um, encourage or not tell them, but encourage them to do this, encourage them to do that, you know, work on their confidence, all this kind of stuff. But on one hand, women are being told, be confident, speak up. On the other hand, when they do it, Mm-hmm. They're questioned on their decisions. They're questioned on their ideas more so than men. Yes. They're seen as more aggressive. They're seen as too opinionated. They're seen as difficult. Mm-hmm. And so there are a narrower band of acceptable behaviors for women at work. And that's not fair. And so we need to start pushing the boundaries of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's coming. We've started doing it in the last generation. I've seen change. Mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of mm-hmm. work that needs to be done in this space. 
Well, and then again, speaking to your point earlier about the intersectionality of that, right? If you have multiple identities, right, you are a woman and that has its own band. But if you are a black woman or an indigenous woman or another woman of color, you have an even narrower band because not only do you have the band mm -hmm. that is woman, you have the band that is your ethnic Mm -hmm. band as well that's been pushed on you and like how you can show up and not be seen as the angry black woman yeah the double standard is yeah. is huge and out there and I think the other piece that comes into that is the default expectations and if you say no to those then you are also perceived negatively right like the unpaid nurturing work that has to be done in the office mm -hmm. it's auto assigned to women the getting the coffee the planning the parties the buying of gifts like all of those pieces are undervalued or un not valued not even under just like not valued period but required and if mm -hmm. women say no like oh i'm not going to do meeting minutes oh well you're just being difficult like yep where a man can say no, a man can say no. I've seen this happen where men will say, or men just don't say anything and wait for the woman to say something until the, they, they have a higher tolerance for that discomfort in the room when, when, you know, we're looking for a volunteer. So I think it's just, yeah, being mindful of how we're sharing those less promotable tasks. Yes. So yep. let's get into the myth, shall we? Because I, I wanted to start with the myth that we've already touched on. And that is that bringing in women of all intersections is actually lowering the bar on talent. Mm. <laughs> and I've heard this because I've been in a, you know, I, I was in HR for 10 years. And so, you know, when we would set um, targets or goals around, around hiring women, we were never saying, you know, we, this means that we're lowering the bar and they don't have to be competitive. Never said that, but that was the assumption that was always made and that I felt that resistance from the business. And and sometimes it was because, yeah, it was harder sometimes to find a woman when we were recruiting from, you know, the STEM pool because it was more competitive. Um, it, it, like other competitive organizations competing for, for talent that is the top talent of women. And so if you're not able to achieve that, that says something about your organization. That says something about your mindset and your culture and also the potential biases mm -hmm. that are at play. Yeah, the huge one being the, pro the programmer persona, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like the stereotypical, oh, they don't look like a programmer. Well, in our minds, what does a programmer look like? And it's pretty ingrained, I would say, in all of our minds, right? It is the socially distant or awkward uh, nerd who just sits in his basement and codes all day, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's so many levels of enculturation and bias that go into yeah. that stereotype there. That, like, let's just talk about like at a young age, like, oh, well, women don't want to be programmers. Like, I have parents come to me all the time saying that their boys just stay up late and just hyper focus on programming. Mm -hmm. Like, well, first of all, young girls are punished for being antisocial in a different way than young boys are. Yeah. So they don't fall into those single minded obsessions typically because they are enculturated not to. Yep. And so you're not going to see the same presentation of enjoyment or love or hobby attachment in young girls as you are in young boys. And then when the culture itself is filled with misogyny, they don't want to engage with it because like they're not being welcomed. They're being made fun of for being a boy, right? And like all of these pokes at them not being them and they don't get to just be in the space. Absolutely. And in a lot of those spaces we're hearing about sexual harassment, right? Because mm -hmm. that's another one of the barriers that I didn't mention. I feel like that that is still happening. Yes. I know it's happening. I've had clients that it's happened to in the tech space. This is still happening. And mm -hmm. so even though we're talking about this more nuance, this kind of stuff, like if you're not addressing the real stuff, like, no, okay, not real stuff. This is all real stuff. The tangible stuff. <laughs> Be careful with my words. But if we're not addressing the tangible, overt sexism and actual, like, violence against women in the workplace, yes. then 
like that in itself speaks to the fact of how you're upholding the patriarchy, upholding misogyny. And so, um, I don't know, that just kind of got me thinking about creating safety for women, Mm -hmm. creating safe spaces. And that like, I mean, that really extends to even before women are coming into the workplace as young girls, how are we creating a safe environment within tech? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, getting rid of the misogyny is a huge piece of it and making it safer. So talking about this is more of a barrier than I think necessarily a myth, but we have algorithms that are feeding a whole lot of things these days. And there's companies mm-hmm. that rely on algorithms to help them with recruiting and to help them make decisions. But the algorithm itself is biased, right? So there's one that was created by Guild that was meant to find high level programmer and like high level programming aptitude. And they found a very strong correlation between advanced skilled programmers and a heavy visits to this one manga site. Mm-hmm. And like, it was a very strong correlation, but the thing that wasn't talked about with that correlation, even though it was entered into the data and like choosing programmers, it wasn't talked about how much leisure time do women have? They don't have mm-hmm. the same amount of leisure time to go sit on a manga site to be talking about manga all day. Also, those sites are tend to not be welcoming to women. Mm-hmm. You get fetishized if you are in that space or told to go away or you don't know what you're talking about and the misogyny shows up. So then you mm-hmm. choose to not go engage in those spaces, even if you liked that thing. So yeah. you wouldn't be found as a highly skilled programmer as a woman because you would have been knocked out from the algorithm because you didn't have that in your social network. Yeah. As a parent, like I'm listening to that. And really thinking about how am I raising my boys to, because they're very much into gaming and they've done like coding classes already. And how are they making that inclusive to their, their friends that are girls? And how are they calling out the misogyny in those spaces? Because again, speaking to our culture, it's so ingrained in our culture still. I'm seeing it all the time. And so being mindful of that and, and, and having those conversations with our kids too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I think that the piece there is how would they even recognize it? Because it is so normalized. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think adults even have trouble recognizing sometimes when yeah. something is misogynist because it's so normalized as just is that you don't even perceive it yeah. as happening anymore. Absolutely. So what, what are some other myths that we're hearing in the tech space about women? I would say the brilliance bias is another huge myth. Mm -hmm. There is not just like women don't have the raw talent or the brilliance and Mm -hmm. it, they just don't, they aren't innate to programming or to the tech space. Like none of that is true, right? There's Mm -hmm. the myth that men have more analytical and logical minds, Mm -hmm. like no, <laughs> like no. the way our brains process information is different, Yep. but that does not make it purely analytical or emotional, right? Because that's the one that women get all the time. Yeah. Like we just process the information differently in different spaces mm-hmm. in our brains and yeah. it comes out differently, like on the other end from that. And that should be acknowledged. Yep. But it doesn't mean that we aren't logical or analytical. Yeah. And you can be both at the same time too. I'm very emotional and analytical. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about, and also thinking about, because I, I, I think I shared with you, I, I, I um, listened to a podcast with Daniel Pink, mm-hmm. and he's talking about his whole new uh, mind book, which mm-hmm. is talking about the, the skills we need for the future and how we need to evolve. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is moving away from left brain thinking to right brain thinking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more about the empathy about one of the, one of um, the strengths, he calls it symphony, really seeing the bigger picture mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. things play and are interconnected. Mm-hmm. Women are conditioned to be more in that space. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about not just, okay, yes, we need people who can code. Yes, we need people who are analytical, linear, 
sequential spreadsheet based. We need those people still. Um, AI and, and outsourcing is disrupting that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we also need people who are using their right brain, who are creative. That's how we see yes. innovation. Yes. And so it's about deliberately thinking about the skills you need in your organization versus the the gender, um, letting the gender bias mm-hmm. dictate or letting the your your bias about what a tech company, what talent should look like in a tech company. Mm-hmm. So thinking outside of the box in terms of where what are the skills for the future that are going to get my business to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's huge because the future is it's coming quickly, right? Like the innovation in tech is so rapid and our turnover mm-hmm. is so rapid at this point. We have just thinking about from when we were children to now and what how your children are experiencing the world, it is starkly different, mm-hmm. right? Like I remember that stupid dial-up tone and like, oh, I'm going to go get on the internet, but let me go make a bowl of cereal while it's yeah. on. And now I have it at my fingertips at any moment at anywhere, mm-hmm. right? And so our turnover trajectory is huge and it's we can't mind read, right? We can't, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's coming, but we do know how the human brain works and what we're looking for and what we're wanting. And we do engage with things better when they have good user interfaces and Mm -hmm. good user experiences, right? Ease of use and intuitiveness is vitally important. It doesn't really matter if you have this like raw code. If I can't interact with it, it doesn't matter how powerful it is. If I can't figure out what button to push, it doesn't matter how cool it is. Yep. And so that's where that, like the linear, like programming, like functionality piece gets matched with the aesthetic piece and the follow through and like the intuitive design pieces. Yep. And design was one of those, one of those six senses he calls them. Daniel Pink identifies as something that we need as in terms of a skill for the future. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, for me, it's like, it's really looking at diversity is going to help your business period. Yes. So another myth I wanted to touch on there, well, there's a couple, I don't know how we're doing for time, but another one is that motherhood impacts performance and potential. Mm -hmm. And so this was a big one for me in HR. I used to see this a lot where women would go on maternity leave here in Canada. It's usually people would take a year. And so when they came back, we'd have women who were on the high potential list. Like we would do succession planning and we would do assessments on people's potential. And, and that, this is an important thing to note because if you're not really separating performance and potential, you mm-hmm. need to start doing that because yeah. we spoke to the, the prove it again bias, mm-hmm. which is women have to prove themselves again and again and again, and they're promoted based on potential. Right. Men are, or sorry, they're, they're promoted based on sustained performance. Men are promoted based on potential, what oh, they yes. can do in the future and not critiqued on sustained performance. And so for that's important one to know, but also like what happens is we don't get seen for our potential, but when we become a mother, we all of a sudden, our potential score goes down. And so all of that sustained performance before we went on maternity leave, it's ignored. And now it's assumed that the priorities have shifted and the focus has shifted, which it it has, of course. But in my experience, what I saw a lot of was women then saying, okay, I'm going to push back. I need boundaries. I'm going to go to Mm part-time. Those people were getting paid part-time hours. Mm-hmm. working full-time hours because they were yeah. logging on from home because, you know, even in a part-time job, like things need to get done. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't fair because now they're not on the succession plan to be promoted to a leader. They need to have that sustained performance. They need to be seen in a full-time position. And, and I just saw that bias happen so much. And you see that also shown in the data mm-hmm. that women's earning potential from the minute they become a mother goes down dramatically for men who become fathers. It, it stays on the exact same trajectory, regardless of who took the leave. Right. Regardless yeah. of who took the leave. So, um, yeah, so that's a big one and near and dear to my heart. Obviously I am a mom. And so I, I know that as, 
mothers need more flexibility, but needing more flexibility doesn't mean that they're not going to produce the same amount of work or the same quality of work or their potential is now capped. Well, and I think the other thing to talk about there, because like, that's one of my, I mean, there, there's a whole lot of the, the unwritten rules of the business world, right? So needing flexibility, and then it being seen as a negative that you have asked for, or are engaging with that flexibility being seen Mm -hmm. as like you aren't the same team member, right? Like, oh, well, you can't stay late for work. Well, why not? right? Why can't you stay late for work? Because Mm -hmm. the primary childcare responsibilities fall on the woman. Mm -hmm. And it isn't a question to start like, oh, well, if my, I want my wife's boss to be just as flexible. So like, I'm going to allow this. Why is the question not, why are the men not stepping up in those childcare responsibilities so that the woman can stay late? And I'm going to say, this one is a hard one because society conditions women to be the nurturers as well. Mm -hmm. I truly wanted to be the nurturer in my career or in my life. And and so I wanted that, but I still want the career. And so Mm -hmm. it, it becomes difficult because yes, we need men stepping up and doing more of the household work. Yes, we definitely do. So I'm not arguing that. And I feel like we need to allow women to make that choice. We need allow to allow men to make that choice. Because I also saw that in my career where people were like, what? He's taking a paternity leave? Mm -hmm. When my my baby was born, I just got to see them for like a week and then I was back to work. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that is envy now that is being projected on younger mm-hmm. men by the older generation. And so we have to stop doing that. Yes. We have to allow men to step up. We have to change the conditioning so that women don't feel like bad moms mm-hmm. for prioritizing work. Yeah. Like we I, can do it all, but we can't do it all at the same time. No. And we definitely can't do it all if we don't have the support. Yeah, 100%. And like those same cultural norms, right? That, oh, well, if you're prioritizing your career as a woman, then you're a bad mom. Like, what if her husband wants to be the one who steps up? And now you're judging both people and making both people feel bad about how they are in the world, right? And that speaks to just generalized enculturation and pushing back. I've had to fight and learn the lessons of what it means to be a woman and a girl because my natural tendencies are not that. Right. I had to learn how to empathetically interact with the world around me and learn those lessons because I am much more of a drive and analytical and get it done and process oriented Mm -hmm. person. And I got like, oh, you're not girly enough. Like you're not feminine enough. Mm -hmm. You're not all of these things. And that affects like how you show up in the world. Right. If you're not your stereotypical enculturation you get ignored or pushed to the side or you're weird. Yeah. And the standards for women just keep going up and up and up and becoming less attainable Mm -hmm. and at odds with each other. Yes, Like that's how I feel. Like I think when we think about beauty standards, when we think about, okay, what does, and this came out in the McKinsey women at work study too, is like people were reporting that you know what looked professional when people were talking about leadership presence they were really talking about how they dress or whether you were wearing too much jewelry whether the way you wear your hair the way you wear your makeup whether you're getting botox and injections and all these things which again is like being fed to us as like we need to be keeping up with you know whoever and so and so it's like all of these standards that are being held against us and we're always feeling judged. Men don't have that same, like that same, the double standards, right? The men don't have all of those double standards and those unreasonable standards in terms of every aspect of their being. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an important thing to note. Another, um, another myth I wanted to talk about, especially for, for young talent is you have to be able to code to work in tech. Mm. Mm -hmm. So this is one that I think I've even made that assumption at times, but I know that I've got clients who've, who've made it really far and continue to progress in tech who don't know how to code. Mm -hmm. Is it a lot of people prefer it? And I think this is one that we need to think about in terms of like, okay, why are they needing, why are they asking for it? 
Why are you asking for it as an employer? Mm-hmm. Um, as a job seeker, why are they asking for it to think about whether that's going to deter you from applying for the job? Mm-hmm. Because often it isn't about the ability to code. It is about the ability to communicate well and understand the business. Mm-hmm. And so I think we also need to think about creative ways of bringing women into tech who have specific skill set, specific expertise, and also the diversity, but whether they need to learn how to code or whether they need to learn how to communicate in a different way, really thinking about when are we challenging people to have that component of it, and also recognizing that there are many people who can't code that are working in tech. Yeah, and I think that that's a, there's lots of different job positions and requirements and needs like program, product, um, project management, you've got customer success, um, scrum masters, mm-hmm. like you have lots of different options and opportunities that are outside of the development. But even yeah. within development, there's different skills, right? Are you data? Are you back end? Are you front end? Are you... Yeah. Uh, user experience, like, are you architecture and like building it out? Like there's lots of different spaces within tech that are not equal and not the same. And knowing and security is another one, right? Like it's a different kind of coding or a different Mm -hmm. kind of engineering, depending on what part of security you're in Um, or IT specifically, right? Like I come out of the IT space and ran IT departments and like, I don't, I'm dangerous coding. That's that's the moral of the story. I know enough <laughs> to really break things and make the engineers very angry. Mm-hmm. Like I can get done what I need to get done, but it's not pretty and it's not nice. And somebody's going to come in after me and be like, what is this? And I'm like, it was good enough. That's what mm-hmm. that is. And so knowing all of your different options into and around the tech space, I think yeah. is super important. Um, and then I know that there's tons of more myths, lots of other things to talk about, even with barriers. Yeah. And I would love to invite anybody who is watching, like put in the comments, what are some of the barriers you've maybe encountered if you feel mm-hmm. safe sharing or myths that you've seen or that play out that we didn't address? Because I'd love to hear from everybody. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast later, then come over to any of our social media pages and let us know, like, what is your experience as a woman in the tech space? And if you're an older woman in tech, has it changed over the course of your career? Because I'd be super interested to hear about that as well. But the last question that I want to address before we close is, are we there yet? No, right? We made that very clear. (laughs) I think it's obvious, yeah. (laughs) But how will we know when we get there? Who? this is a big one. I could, uh, like this, there are many ways that we can tell. I, I think most people are focusing on representation and wage gap. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are important. Yeah. We need to close the wage gap. We need to continue to do intersectional pay audits. We need to continue with pay transparency. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we need the representation of the business that reflects the world that we're in. So that's a given. Mm-hmm. The other thing we need to pay attention to is the retention rates. Mm-hmm. How much are we actually retaining women of all intersections? So you might say, mm-hmm. oh, we got tons of women. But why are black women leaving? Why are indigenous women leaving? Why are people of color leaving? Mm-hmm. And and there are differences between those groups. Don't like paint women all with a broad brush, brush no. either because the McKinsey study actually sh- showed that uh, women of color are actually more ambitious to, uh, to advance to leadership positions than white women. And so that was an interesting, actually, that one kind of surprised me. I thought it would be pretty similar. Um, but really just kind of, and also not taking the data as like that's representative representative of your workforce, like get out there, get to know people, get to know what the issues are going on. Um, and this next one, this actually is, is really important because before we get to the, the, there are different milestones. So yes, the representation of the business at all levels represents the society we live in. Right. Yeah. But the other piece is the, the milestone that comes before that, that is where you're actually, because people are like, oh, I can't move the needle on DEI. I can't move the needle. The, the milestone that I really pay attention to is critical mass. Mm-hmm. And so this concept of critical mass, like this comes from physics. And it actually means when a chain reaction becomes self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean outside of physics? In the workplace, what that means is 
once we reach a critical mass, the, the, the minority group feels okay being whole themselves, showing up authentically, instead of having to adopt to the behaviors, the standards, the mindset of the dominant group. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we spoke to this a little bit as well, because it's like, how much do we change ourselves as women mm-hmm. versus changing the system? We're not going to have success in changing the system, which is the more, more important piece until mm-hmm. we get to a critical mass. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard different numbers of what that's going to look like. Um, 30% is, is one that people have thrown out there. I haven't seen enough sound data to know exactly what that number looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can kind of follow physics, I think, but really thinking about what is that number where we're going to start seeing that chain reaction. We're going to see the systems change. We're actually going to get some momentum. That's a big piece. The Mm -hmm. other one is having a really strong pipeline of women. Mm-hmm. starting with education. If you're, if you're struggling with entry level, if you're struggling with your new recruits and in, in seeing enough women in that population who are qualified, how are we reaching out to even before they get to that phase, yep. reaching out to the institutions, building relationships with those educa- ed- educational institutions to say, what are you doing to bring in women of all intersections? What are yep. you doing and how can we help? Yep. Where can we invest where can we build bridges for women? Where can we... Bridges. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Building the bridges. So that's that's a big one. We'll know we're there when we have bridges and a pipeline, a strong pipeline mm-hmm. of supported women. Um, pay equity, we've already mentioned, but also the piece of having inclusive benefits and HR policies. And, and you mentioned this before when we were chatting, Alexandria's, even the infrastructure Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the parking space for women who are pregnant, the tampons in the bathroom, the breastfeeding room with a lock on the door, a fridge with a lock so that people aren't accidentally drinking the breast milk. So yes. these kind of things where if you're, especially in the States, cause women tend to go back to work earlier. If mm-hmm. you're still breastfeeding, like how are we making it an environment where you can also be a mother? Mm-hmm. Um, so those kind of things, um, daycare within the facility, daycare we have plenty of facilities that have medical units and they've got game rooms and they've got Ping all these table, free snacks, dry cleaners, right? Yeah. Um, there, Sony Ericsson pays for people to get their house cleaned, right? Like there are these elements yeah. that individual companies have done to do that, yeah. but they're not the norm and they're not the standard, right? They're one off and they're big deals. But access to daycare is huge. Yeah. yeah. So doing an intersectional benefit um, analysis to, to see where you are in terms of like really having perks that that support people instead of perks just to have perks. Right. Just awesome. accessibility, cool. flexible work at home. Because um, I think I think that's an interesting one to think about is tech is one of the newest industries or the I don't know. Yeah. Would we say the newest industry? I don't know. But it's like you would think that we would be further along in tech than other industries in this space. But I think because so much of it has been male dominated and because so much of it has been about the kind of sexiness of tech and making it look really lucrative. Um but you can still have both. You can still attract talent and have those, those, those things that you can be proud of, but from an intersectional feminist lens. Um, I think the thing that to draw attention to there in tech is like, technically speaking, tech has been around since the forties, right? The first mm-hmm. computers, like all of those pieces has been around since the forties, but the tech industry for the way we would frame that now would really be like the dot-com boom and like the internet coming to everybody's home and those types of things. But the thing that stands out to me, even still within the tech space that blows my mind all the time is the refusal to actually look at the data and Mm -hmm. acknowledge the gaps in the data and to uh, disaggregate the data into sex and how that shows up and gender representation, two different things, right? But looking at the overall intersectionality of what's needed, there is a blatant disregard for research Mm -hmm. and what data is telling us in an industry that is reliant on data. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be like, I, I, 
I don't understand. Like, I, I really have a hard time being <laughs> yeah. like, wait, what? Like, yeah. why do we have all of these norms when tech's whole being is literally disruptive? Yeah. You have an opportunity to be disruptive and to change things. Like, we can move this a lot faster than yeah. we've chosen to. And I think it's because, again, there's that, that, that false narrative that people play in their mind that, okay, we're going to use this data to make profit. And then we will we'll think about all of the people stuff later. But if you integrate that and say, let's use this data to make our people more empowered, happy, productive, and to make good business decisions, this is what we really want to do. We're not, and, and you know, at the disruptors, when you sign up with us, that's, we're, we're very much about integrating this. Yes. It's not about saying, okay, we're going to put DEI over here and we're going to do the DEI work and because then it becomes performative and it doesn't. Right really move the dial. It's about integrating DEI with the business results. And mm -hmm. like, that's really one of the other ways we will know that we're there. Your yes. business will be thriving. Yes. Your business will be thriving. And, and studies show this, like with the organizations that have more diversity, that have more representation, uh, more women in, in senior executive roles, they are thriving. They're 30% more profitable. And they still have more work to do. And, and you know, like we, we still have more work to do across the board, but they are more profitable. So believe the data. Don't ignore the data. Yes. Um, so we have like want to talk five minutes left. Five minutes left. Okay. So HR policies was the other one that I really wanted to mention is really thinking about, especially when it comes to flexibility, because women are saying it over and over again. We want flexibility and also rewards that match because that's another one from the McKinsey study that women are overworked and under-recognized. How are we recognizing women in a way that they value? And the other piece that I already mentioned is valuing those feminine traits equally. And and that's that's basically all I have. That I probably could go on and on, but we're out of, <laughs> we're out of time. But that's how we'll know that we're there. Those are the those are the main things from my perspective. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. And we are moving, right? I want to acknowledge that we have made progress. Not fast enough though, right? So we can celebrate the wins and keep working. And so next week, if you want to join us again, we're going to talk about how do we get there and really talking about some solutions and ways to get to those places that Jasleen just highlighted of how we'll know we're there. So please join us next week. Share this with anybody you know that would be interested in that. Um, it's posted on the page if you want to RSVP to it now. Um, the other piece that we are going to be doing this month for Women's History, so the framing all month is going to be focused on women, women in tech, and what we're doing, how we can show up. Uh, we are going to do a live forum. It's going to be a LinkedIn audio, which is a little different than what we normally do, uh, but that will allow you all to come and speak with us. So it'll be kind of like a town hall feeling to it. We are looking for people to submit questions. If you don't feel comfortable speaking up that day, you want to submit them anonymously. We'll have a link in today's comments. It'll be in the show notes, wherever you are accessing uh, this audio or video. We want to hear from you. Like, what questions do you have about your career, your experience as a woman in tech? Do you want to decode something and figure out what's really being said? Whatever questions you have, please share them with us in our form. And we look forward to having that conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. I hope it is really interactive. So put that in your calendars for March 22nd. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, we need more subs subscribers. So um, we'll also post the link again to the podcast in mm -hmm. the comments. And so subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, all the places, and you'll be able to listen to these because we know that for a lot of us, it's hard to come in and, and watch on video. So they're all in podcast format. Share that with your coworkers, share that with your leaders. If you are a leader in the tech space, please reach out to us. Um, you can comment below and we'll DM you because we're looking for a few partners to pilot some stuff with. Mm -hmm. So because of that, you're going to get a lot of that for free. And so we're not going to be offering that more than once. So just if you're, if you're interested in this space, or even if you just want to get on the phone and have a conversation about what this might look like for your business and how you would integrate that with your business goals to really move the dial on both your business and diversity, equity, inclusion, let us know. And I think, I think that's all we have for, 
for calls to action. I don't know if I missed anything. Oh, also, I wanted to mention, if you are a woman who is experiencing these issues, I am a career coach, and I will also post my link to uh, to book a session. So whether you're wanting resume rewrites, whether you want to advance your career, get promoted, whether you're trying to do some soul searching and figure out your career path or figuring out how to mindfully disrupt the system, um, you can book a, a free 30-minute session with me and we can have a chat to see if it would be a fit. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a delightful conversation. I am super excited for all of our topics this month and I appreciate you joining me, Jasmine. Thank you. Bye, y'all. That concludes today's episode. If you want to help us disrupt the tech industry to increase the representation of diverse talent, please register and subscribe at our website, jobdisruptors.com. Also, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and share with DEI champions and diverse talent alike. Here's to disrupting.